it's so sad because it's truly the most natural thing and when you're nude I mean certainly for me <laughs> it's funny because I have never thought of myself as a nudist I've never that's not ever a label I've put on myself but I've often thought that your skin is your best fitting garment you know your skin is made for you that's literally what you have and it's the only companion that you have so to wrap it in some sort of shame is just so sad welcome everyone welcome to my podcast sex and art In this podcast, I'll combine my passion for art and sex with my passion for very interesting people. In every episode, you'll be allowed a peek into their world and we'll find out how they connect to art and sex. I'm your host, Zir Berlin, and now let's find out who's our guest today. Welcome, dear Dana. Welcome to my podcast, Sex and Art. I'm overjoyed to have you here for an interview. Thank you so much for having me. I am overjoyed to be here, slightly nervous, but um, yeah, delighted to be joining you. And I look forward to all of the things that will unfold in the next hour. In the beginning of every episode, I mention that I want to shine a light on fears and pains and shame around the topic sex and art. Um, I feel listening to the stories of others helps others to find, yeah, no, I'm not that crazy than I thought, or this is not a reason to feel ashamed, or um, I'm actually more normal than I thought. I intend to create a safe space for our listeners, but also for you and for me. So all the questions I ask are always voluntary. So you can always say no to a question if you don't want to answer a question. And that's important for me to create a safe space and then we can you know, go on with consent. Exactly. I appreciate that. That's great. Then then we can legally start after having said all this, created the room. I met you and I was just looking at it about 10 months now ago um, through an online session. And I want to introduce you a little bit. Your name is Dana. You live in Glasgow in Scotland. You have the most amazing red long hair, curly. If people can't see you in the recording right now, you should check her out. You can check her out at uh, on Instagram. Amazing being. I, I don't dare to say just performance artist, art model, um, or something like that. You also um, studied fashion design in London. Yep. And in your past past, you're not that old, but you know, <laughs> in the beginning of your work life, you were um, artistic gymnast. Does one say that? That is correct. Yep, that's the way, that's the name of it, yep. And you also, in your artistic expression, draw and write, and your main job at the moment is being an art model. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. It's, it seems it has transpired that way, yeah. <laughs> and I think that, that all your different influences, like being a, a gymnast and uh, fashion design, really are part of the sessions you create online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's um, definitely, I realized I was trying to fight against all these different aspects that influence me. And at some point I thought, you know what, 
it's part of who I am. Maybe I should just embrace them and flip them all together and then <laughs> see what comes out of it. <laughs> and that is currently what I'm what I'm putting out there, I suppose, with, with what I do. So yeah. Your name on Instagram is Conconction. Does it mean anything? It is completely made up, but it does mean quite a lot of things, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was mostly important to have a name that was not my own in the beginning of life modeling because I was creating a bit of a different identity in that regards and I didn't want my full name to be online doing this job in the first case. So that was part of it. Um, I wanted to retain my own personal identity out with the practice of it. I started out with the name Busty Ginger. Mm. <laughs> Interesting, yes. Yeah, so that was um, really, uh, I was trying to appropriate a popular pornographic search, which is Busty Ginger. And I just always liked the idea of trying to subvert something a little bit and uh, regain it and take it back. And so yeah, I started out with that, but I was working for quite traditional institutions in the beginning. And when they asked me what my Instagram name was to tag tag work or whatever, I would say, oh, bust the gender. And they'd go, what? Why? What? Oh, my goodness. So I thought, OK, it's maybe it's not very professional. So maybe I can make up a made up words that will be more professional. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I ditched bust the gender. And um, I then went with one which was like a Gaelic, Scottish Gaelic word for red, which is rua. Uh, that didn't seem right either it was like trying on different clothes so I was looking for the right fit and then it really the name concoction really stemmed from the words concoction so the words being a combination of things really and that's what the idea came from so I thought well I do lots of different things I like lots of different things it is a concoction of different aspects so the word itself came from that and then again, there's another layer. So <laughs> I wanted to incorporate, can I say it? Can I say that word? You can say all the words. This is a podcast sex and art. Say all the bits and all the cunts you want. All the cunts. Okay, so obviously it's K-U-N-T-E, cunt. I've always loved the words because, again, in an attempt to reappropriate it because it was it was a really, it's, I mean, it's, it's such an ancient word. It's attributed to Hindu goddesses and pagan temples mm. and all these, it's just so multi-layered. And also it's a, it's a term of endearment in Glasgow. So if someone says, oh, you're a sound cunt, then it means you're great. You're a really nice person. So then Procon, which is the name of my life drawing event, is production, concunction, shortened. Um, and Procon has its own connotations. So You also have a Patreon, I remember. Oh, of course, I do. Yes, that is true. And it is under the, the same name. So it's Dana Concunction. And that's a place that you can subscribe to monthly and get rewards uh, based on which tier you're subscribed to. So I've got a portrait tier, I've got a nude figure tier. So you basically receive images every month. Plus you get... Uh, probably too long and detailed um, introduction into my brain and my writing. And oh, well, that's nice. I think people would like to hear more about what's going on in your head. Really nice. So look for Dana Concunction on 
Instagram Conconction and on Patreon Dana Conconction. Super cool stuff going on there. I heard the pictures are, are wonderful. Sometimes I see them. <laughs> you do two sessions uh, a week, right? Usually. Um, I went through a phase of doing two. That's right. I was doing a fashion illustration themed event for a while. But to be honest, it was difficult to keep consistent with it and to bring numbers in because as everyone knows, the, the life modeling community is so strong and so amazing. And there's so many sessions on. So people are just spoiled for choice all the time, which I think is absolutely incredible. But it also means you need to decide where to put the the effort and attention into you know so I thought maybe I start to do less sessions and make sure that they're all as well curated as I as I can make them you know? and it's a fairly new thing right basically it started with um the world locking down due to corona that you started doing it online right yeah that's true that is correct and that is so far from what I could have ever imagined in the first place I just never thought that going into this job I would start running sessions online um I organized one session when I arrived in Glasgow and that was the closest I got to a full organization and that was amazing but then all of a sudden a few months later and it's every week organizing online so it's been quite a journey yeah <laughs> do you think there's a huge difference between running an online show than to running a normal present life drawing session I think there are different variables but I, I guess at the heart of it, it's all about the same thing, which is presenting a body to draw. And actually, that's that's what it should always be about. So I suppose there are logistical differences between online and, and real life, definitely. There's some aspects that you control, you can control more easily in real life as opposed to online and vice versa. So I think it's it's just been such a huge learning curve for so many aspects of what I do as well. So I'm so grateful for that at the moment. What do you find is the most uh, demanding thing in the online session? Definitely, without a doubt, it's the promotion. <laughs> it feels like you're on an endless carousel of promotion and um, having to you know, promote the sessions really because it's so much part of doing it and you have to have the people there to attend to run it in the first place. So promotion is you know, we're consumed by our online um, identities at the moment. So it's very much intertwined with that as well, I think. So everyone, if you want to go to a really, really great online life drawing show, uh, which can be super complicated when she's doing uh, super crazy hair things or fashion things, or also very more simple with direct light, go to one of her sessions. She's unbelievable. You can't see it if you're just listening, but I have like paintings of her in my background. I love her as a model, also as a person, but as a model, unbelievable, a real muse. And I know you don't like that when I say muse. You know, after we spoke about it, it did change because you said that the last in the preparation talk that we had and immediately my hackles went up and I thought, oh, there's that word again. And obviously you see it in the life drawing community and within the context of life drawing, it's a, a word that is so connected to figurative art because the muses were historically the, the center of people's work. And the only reason that it was a word that I didn't like was because I felt like it took away some aspect of agency that I have or could have as a model. But at the same time, 
I'm assisting in an artist's creative process. So it's undeniable that I am, you know, central to that. But I also want to have the agency and I want to have the the input as a as an individual and not just the the body, you know. Is agency for you the same as control? Uh, I think control is probably a, a stronger version, I guess. Um, and I, I, I often laugh when I talk about control because I think, oh, I must sound like a control freak. <laughs> yeah, it's not so much about having to have control, but it's about a personal feeling of control yeah. and how you, how you gain that. Yeah, and I think this is also a very natural thing to, to want to have that, right? Because you're showing yourself vulnerably naked, not all of the time, but most of the time, whether this is in person, or online, this is always a demanding situation. Is it more difficult to do it online or more difficult to do it in a room with people who are pretty close to you? I think you have a false sense of security when you're doing it online because you feel you're, well, A, you're in your own home, you're in your own environment, and you feel like you're very much curating the image that the artists are receiving, which is true. Um, but at the same time, as soon as that image is out there, people can really do what they want with it. They could be taking photos of the screen, they could be recording, although obviously you ask them not to. Um, so I think I do feel that I get lulled into a false sense of um, this is easier online. But actually, I think... Oh, it's a difficult question, honestly. Um, I really, I do miss the exchange so much that you get in a in-person life, life room, which of course is a reoccurring conversation between artists and models and everyone at the moment, because it's something that we all love about it. And yet we're kind of being <laughs> starved of it a little bit. That's a roundabout answer to your question. I just think it's important to be aware of the, the false security that you feel when you're doing online. What made you become an art model? There are so many answers to that question. And, um, Give me all of them. <laughs> so I think, well, to start from the beginning, yeah, I've been surrounded by art my whole life. I've been really lucky in that respect. Um, my parents are have always been involved in art and my mum's dad was an artist and I've, I've come from a long line of artists. So that was, I was just surrounded by painting always. And although they're both landscape painters, um, I would sit for them for portraits when I was quite young. <laughs> I mean, very young, probably the age of seven, seven, eight, which for them must have been quite a job getting an eight-year-old to sit still <laughs> for a portrait. I really, <laughs> I admire their uh, tenacity with that. Um, so yeah, I grew up with that being quite a normal thing to do. And I guess that's what started my interest in it. And then leading on from that, I just had a general interest in, in art and painting and um, I was then working physically with my body when I was a gymnast and I loved working with my body and being physical always I've always loved that I started modeling when I went to art school because at that point in my life I was looking for a place to kind of regain some sense of control over my body and especially my nudity at that point and so 
with all of the previous things that had come before, as in being familiar with painting and drawing and sitting for portraits and things, it just felt like quite a natural progression. In my early 20s, I was fundamentally looking for somewhere to find autonomy and um, to regain, yeah, again, sense of control with my body and my nudity. I started off in photography, actually, before going into posing for drawing. I started in photography. So that was a whole different kettle of fish, really. I find interesting, um, you said basically that you were trying to regain control over your body with doing sessions. For me, that's kind of interesting because it seems to be a courageous thing mm -hmm. um, to put yourself out there, no matter where you are, whether you are naked or dressed, because you're kind of the center of attention. And as mm -hmm. you said, when you're not curating the picture in the online room, in a normal room, you just looked at from all different angles and one can't really control that image. What do you think is the aspect where you think this gives me more control, this is regaining my body? Yeah, well, the main, the main aspect would be the ability to be nude and not being sexualized. Now that's different for every model. And obviously you cannot help the way that people perceive you and you can't help if someone wants to sexualize you, they, they can. But ultimately you're in that space as an aid to a creative process. So at the same time, you can present yourself as being sexual as well. You can suggestively pose if that's something that you want to do. That's You, you can enable that to happen as well. When I paint a nude woman, yeah. some people think it's porn. Mm. And this is uh, bothering me, yeah? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's very important that we change the way we think about nudity. Of course, yeah. Especially, not just, but especially with um, the female body. Mm -hmm. Of course, yeah. It's always, it's so loaded and people feel bad to look at pictures of nude women or mm -hmm. men because they're so brainwashed we're conditioned to believe that nudity is also potentially problematic and should be hidden. I'm Scottish, but I'm Britain is the kind of larger <laughs> whatever you want to say, but British culture especially is very prude and I think we suffer so much from that. There's a real oppression around it. It's so sad because it's truly the most natural thing and when you're nude I mean certainly for me <laughs> it's funny because I have never thought of myself as a nudist I've never that's not ever a label I've put on myself but I've often thought that your skin is your best fitting garment you know your skin is made for you that's literally what you have and it's the only companion that you have so to wrap it in some sort of shame is just so sad and it's weaponized of course as well shame people feel about their body is actually a projection from the outside they received that it is something bad the person who was doing the projecting uh, mm -hmm. put on them so for example um i'm not allowed to rape people around if i feel like it mm -hmm. and because this is a bad behavior of myself i project on uh, the person i objectify to be my lust object um, that they are bad, so they should feel shame for their body. They should cover themselves, so I don't feel bad. 
Yeah, exactly. And that becomes a feedback loop. It needs to be broken to some extent, as you say, it's the level of brainwashing or conditioning, social conditioning. And I think with the the pornographic aspect as well, I think that's really interesting because there's a level of eroticism you can gain from a nude person. But I don't think that eroticism needs to equate to being pornographic. I think that the erotic has... It's almost like an insult to compare eroticism to pornography because pornography is existing in a patriarchal society that's that's weaponizing, demonizing, and actually, you know, capitalizing on on these aspects of of nature. And erotic is such a powerful, beautiful, natural thing that I think is totally different. I'm not offended by if someone wants to put a level of eroticism onto a drawing of me. My feeling is that pornography is objectifying and not on eyes hide, while eroticism or, you know, just a nude body is totally on eyes hide. There is no object in it. Exactly. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in my studies actually trying to understand that I, the libraries that we had access to were just incredible. And I would take all these books out about pornography. And I actually had a tutor who did his PhD on symbolic costuming or symbolic uh, clothes and porn. He was so passionate about what he did and it made me really interested in the societal implications of porn and how we watch it and what it means. You said in our pre-talk that you have some kind of ritual before you model, before you pose. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I, I have rituals more so probably after the session, I guess preparation and ritual could come hand in hand. It's almost a similar idea. So yeah, before a session, and again, it's changed with online life drawing because most of the preparation I'm doing before a session now is logistics and being like, ah, have I checked my emails? Have Is everything charged? Oh my goodness. So that's like, uh, it's not so much about me and my body. It's like, okay, is the business heads on and is everything working well? <laughs> so that's one aspect of it. For myself though, um, yeah, I I would say that obviously working with the body, I do some stretching and some um, shaking out because no matter how many times I do it I'm still nervous I'm always nervous before a session so you know you need to just get everything flowing and expel some of that nervous energy I always wear makeup when I model and that's something I've always done it's a small boundary between me and the work or me and the artist and the people who are drawing me I guess I feel more myself to some extent when I'm not wearing a full face of makeup it presents as a kind of okay this is me putting my work face on I'm here I'm ready I'm prepared to go into this you said also that you have like a certain jewelry you you like to be private and not appear on every second picture yeah so I have my nipples pierced and I have a bangle and a necklace that I wear every day in fact and I never model with them. And I, I learned this. It took a while to, to realise this. But I was looking back on some photos that had been done where I was wearing both my bangle and my, my piercings. I just thought it unsettled me a little bit as to how completely me I was. And I, that's kind of conflicting in some ways because I do want to present a vulnerability when I work because it's 
it's, a, it's about that as well but it's more of a I think it's more of a protection thing so after a session I put those things back on and I kind of return to my being of just being in the world um and my bangle is it's a very it's really special it was made by my dad and it's got pieces of metal in it from the house I grew up in and has pieces of silver from my grandfather's studio so it's like it's basically the most personal thing I have like ever (laughs) and so it's really important to me that that's kept as you know just for me and that's an interesting aspect, actually. I think one can also take away for other aspects of life that there are private things which are supposed to be private and that this is a precious idea. One doesn't need to be public with everything. I think especially these days, that's, a, I don't know, not nearly a revolutionary idea that you can keep things for yourself. Exactly. And I think we're... Yeah, there's a level of individuality that we are all striving for. And I think part of that process seems to be that we need to lay ourselves out and completely, you know, just make people aware of every aspect of ourselves, which I think is great if you if you want to do that. And really, ultimately, it comes down to how that makes you feel. And if that makes you feel good, then that's the best thing you can do. But if you feel like I have felt in the past I feel like I've been just um something's been stripped back a little bit too far and I I don't like that sort of feeling I guess I was also going to say as well that obviously you'd (laughs) you'd mentioned my hair and obviously that's it's definitely whether I like it or not it's become part of my identity as a model of course because of all the connotations of red hair in art history, it's a really, it's a really, you know, repeated theme in a lot of work. And I've always, I've grown up with it long all my life. It's always been long. And it's always been the thing that people are like, oh my, your hair, can I see it? Can I, oh, wow, wow, wow. But you break it a little bit by having this medieval cutout till the middle of your head. Medieval, yeah, I like that. Yeah, exactly. And that, is really down to feeling quite conflicted about how much it is part of my identity because I love it and I hate it for that because I don't I don't think hair is such a weighted thing generally for women having long hair very feminine very stereotypically you know feminine in that way and I've always thought like I've tried to fight against that and so in doing so I'm like okay let's shave the front off I don't really wear it down unless I'm very comfortable with people. Actually, a pretty good thing about you, that you can be the classical beauty, like in the romanticism, but you can also be like the most radical, progressive, feminist activist person in the way you pose and in the way you use tools or or props or the way you dress yourself. Another question I always wanted to ask is when you do your costume sessions... The costumes are things you made or a friend made, I remember, right? Yeah, so I so I, I do styling as a job, um, as another job, I guess. So I collect pieces that I, I think could be useful for styling work. Um, and I also, yeah, as you said, I studied costume, fashion, kind of 
more specifically costume. I make things and I collect things and I massive fan of latex and my one of my good friends is running a latex brand called soft skin soft skin latex check them out yeah we can put it in the description <laughs> so she's uh she's a genius and she makes historically inspired latex garments so whenever i have the option or opportunity i like to use them yeah so th- those are the the main reasons i have lots of costume items and I like to, I mean, they're interesting to draw as well. Clothing is difficult, but. Oh yeah, I hate it. I hate and love it at the same time. And it's always like, why, why do I have to do that? It's so difficult. I love it still. Is it a different feeling when you pose in costumes than when you're nude? Yeah, definitely. And Yeah, absolutely. It's um, definitely something else to think about. You know, when you're nude, your 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 body is your single tool, and it's the first surface that the artists are coming into contact with when they're drawing you. But when you've got clothes on, you need to really think about how the clothes are best displayed as well. So, you know, curling up into a weird contorted ball is not the best way to <laughs> display a nice dress. So you really need to think about the clothes being sort of center stage, if you like. Honestly, I've done a few sort of clothes modeling jobs and I find that so difficult. It just throws too many spanners in the works and I feel really uncomfortable. It doesn't come very naturally to me. My fashion illustration based events are a way to sort of deal with that uncomfortable feeling that I get when I try and model clothes. <laughs> so, And it's also fun. When you're um, asked to be a model on a fashion show and have stuff on, that feels uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's That's just, interesting. What's different there? Again, I think just because the I normally rely on the shapes that my body make and can mm-hmm. make for the purpose of nude modeling. But when you've got clothes on, it, they need to come first. So you need to just consider what might not make them look good. Is it like you like being yourself, your original, and move the, the way you are, and clothes might interrupt that? Yes. And in your shows or in your sessions, you like to combine having clothes on, still being yourself, yeah. uh, but doing poses where one still can um, take full advantage of the crazy combination you put on yeah definitely I think that's uh pretty spot on actually I remember you have like arrangement of props also which you reoccurringly use like this big hand chair it's a, a wooden chair which looks like a hand yeah and the vase I think you're already famous for the vase <laughs> even if I can't recognize you from your red hair in the painting but the vase is there everybody knows ah Donna Donna session <laughs> Yeah, again, I'm lucky to be surrounded by very uh, creative people generally. And I I ask friends to borrow props. And I'm, as I say, my mum is an artist, so she's always on the lookout for strange, eclectic things. And I also live very close to a market in Glasgow. So very often the, the traders will put things in the bin and they'll leave them in the street. And I think I cannot let that go in the bin. So I need to bring it home. <laughs> you must have a big apartment. I don't. It's, it's increasingly getting smaller. The, the walls are closing in. You were recently involved in um, 
in a live drawing session which were about um, Free Julia, that's a Russian artist who drew feminine bits and pieces like the vagina in a comic style and now faces prison in Russia. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you want to talk a little bit about your activist side and what made you participate in that wonderful yeah. session with Sketcherei. It was a wonderful session with Sketcherei. Thank you, Liana. And I Alex. heard it was actually your idea or something. <laughs> well, it was it was combined effort, definitely, but it seemed like the perfect uh, weapon to fight in this fight for her because, I mean, we could go into a whole political conversation about the the treatment that she's been subjected to by her state, and it's so sad because it's something that. I am engaged in on a daily basis. Art, nudity, female form, artists that I work with, something that we do all the time. And we, I realized I take for granted as well because some people can't express themselves freely about those things that we would otherwise believe are quite accessible. I just was really taken aback by the whole thing. And that made me, promoted me to think about it critically, but also I was emotionally reacting to it. So I was angry and I was, felt so sad for her and she must feel so helpless as well in the situation she's in. So I thought, well, how can I channel that? What's the best way to channel these potentially not very helpful feelings and emotions into something productive? So. I have some strange links to Russia as well from my gymnastics days. I was also part of the the reason that I created the set of images that came out of it with my friend who's a photographer, Izzy, um, and we made these these really cool images. Try and contextualize all those different aspects. They're on my Instagram, and they so the the tracks that came from this. Well, it was a gift. It was gifted by one of the schools that I traveled to. Uh, to train at so I was gifted this like Rus Russian national tracksuit because their athletes were were competing for Russia when Liana told me about the the whole situation with Yulia I just thought of the tracksuit and I thought wow that's that has to be the thing that I use so yeah and as far as the the activist conversation goes it's it's really comes down to our personal is always political and the way that we navigate the world is political whether we like it or not <laughs> we're kind of the product of what's come in the past and we're reacting to past history which has shaped the world to be what it is now so i think we all have a place to react to it and turn our personal experiences into political not activism I don't want to say activism but yeah <laughs> why, why don't you want to say activism I guess I don't want to pedestal it too much I've also been really lucky to be surrounded by very politically active people a lot of my friends are and that's always been really inspiring and one of my closest friends who's in Berlin just now she lives there she's always just been so passionate about what politically should be the way and I've always been inspired by that and I'm inspired by people who who carry that around with them because it's it's so important I think that we are led to believe sometimes that we don't have much power but if you think about your sort of personal periphery and your personal surroundings you can affect people and not affect people but you can affect small changes you know and then that becomes a domino effect that's why I'm I'm interested in it for sure when I look at you 
posing, you incorporate that. Like the way you hold yourself, the way you don't objectify yourself is a way of dealing with that. Like I find there's so many young women these days who go out so courageously and I think it's pretty difficult to balance this with protecting yourself, right? Yeah. So for one, being in this potentially dangerous environment for a woman, you know, still so many people get abused, raped, and, you know, everyone kind of has a story like that. And this is horrible. On the other side, it is unbelievable how much power young women bring to this uh, world right now in saying, no, I'm not letting this uh, be done to me again. Yeah, absolutely. And even you saying that just sort of sent goosebumps on my back because it's, it's so true and it can take a long time to get to that place yourself, you know, and obviously that's the case for so many women and not just women, you know, obviously I don't want to exclude men in that, but also non-binary people and any, any person who's experienced anything of that nature, you know, there is so much power and I think this, the saddest part is when that power has been taken away and that person doesn't feel like they can regain that power. And I think it can be regained. It can be regained. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. an important thing to say. Do you want to share your methods regaining this kind of power over yourself? Yeah, well, I suppose the life modeling has been a, a massive part in that. Um, I had a really amazing experience at some point where I was doing quite a long pose and this was in real life back in the day so yeah I was doing a quite a long pose at not super long like 20 minutes or so and I was sort of embracing myself I was kind of curled up when I was embracing myself like this and it got a few minutes in and I was just overcome by this feeling of ah, just an appreciation maybe for for the, the body that I'm in in some sense that sort of regaining of of control because I think when you don't have appreciation for your own self or your own body which various events in your life can affect that is the point where you don't feel power or you don't have a sense of power or you you don't feel like you have control but when that's different and when you are able to feel appreciation to yourself and your body etc then you kind of get that level of power back I guess going back to the pose I think I was feeling a really strong sense of appreciation for the body and what it had got me through and <clears throat> how it had carried me to this point in my life it felt like quite a profound moment so you think that modeling naked actually made you feel better about your body it's interesting you know the the sort of feelings you have towards your body it's often framed like that but I don't know if it's so much about the opinion of my body or certain aspects of my body. I think it's more of a overarching appreciation for it and not taking it for granted. When you take it for granted and when you ignore the signals it gives you, you get into issue and you get into trouble. When you can give yourself the space to really listen to what your body is saying, then you create this really strong connection to it. In a nutshell, that's kind of that control I'm talking about as well, because you feel more connected. That's a very courageous thing to do. I'm so sure about that, because I would think if I would go and model naked, which I'm planning to do at mm -hmm. some point, 
that I would probably numb myself and numb my perception. And it takes courage to actually allow all the feelings they are, you know, from what, what's happening there in the show. So it feels like that you try to be more aware of who you are, what you're doing, your body in the session. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think that's come out of um, a long time of doing the complete opposite, which is completely disregarding what's going on mentally, physically, and how they're connected. And as I say, I identified certain points in my life where that kind of connection was gone and those were not good times. So <laughs> the opposite of that was, okay, well, maybe heal the connection. Was there a point in time when you thought like, okay, now I do it consciously that I kind of connect in the session with myself? Yeah. Yeah, I think when I started modeling, I was I had already maybe gone through that process in my head. So mm. I was bringing that process to the modeling um, mm -hmm. as well. Saying that though, I've all I've also always challenged myself when I'm modeling. I I've often felt like if I'm comfortable, then I'm maybe not doing something right at the moment. So yeah, that's also a bit of a contradiction, but I think that has come from my days of training and my days of gymnastics. The whole thing that we were told really was mind over matter. So if you're in pain, if you're scared, just ignore it because it's stopping you from doing something. So that was not good because that was not creating a healthy relationship between your mind and your body. So I think it was about finding the balance between that extreme And then the extreme where you're like, oh my God, I feel this thing and I can't, I can't go on, you know, there's a level of trying to push that boundary that um, is healthy. Sounds a bit like being a model could be a therapeutic thing, actually. Yeah, it certainly has been for me. I really love that. And I think one can see in the sessions you're doing um, this kind of raw vulnerability you're displaying there um, with all the you know, preparational work and after work you do to take good care of yourself. It does really, to me, make a big difference um, because it opens up for the artist. I don't know, one just can sink in in the pose and there's always, I can be sure I, I will be inspired if I'm just open myself. Yeah, amazing. And I think that's my ultimate goal as well is to allow artists into that space as well that I I can create in some way and like you say even with the podcast it's an exchange isn't it and I think that's what all these really amazing experiences are about it's about an exchange and opening to there's a level of vulnerability that is healthy and I think that's good for everyone I think vulnerability is a good thing obviously <laughs> and more allowing of vulnerability would be good for the world I think Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I, I believe it causes other people to open up. So one, one can just open up to another person if they, in the first place, allow themselves to be open and vulnerable. Exactly. Yeah. Um, otherwise, we're kind of two robots meeting somewhere online and drawing a figure which looks like a box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We have talked for quite some time now and I could just keep on talking to you and, you know, at some point I take out my sketch pad and, um, you know, you know the drill. Um, but I would like to ask you at least one last question. Was there in your life, in terms of life drawing, 
like something which really, really surprised you and you would have never thought about that. Without it sounding too heavy. Oh, please be heavy. That's what the podcast is for. I mean, honestly, I've had a few quite distinct moments and it, it's mostly with very long poses. So obviously in an online session, 40 minute pose is a long pose. But when I've done in real life sessions that have the, the poses have been 60 hours or, you know, you come back every day for weeks at a time. And when you're arranging yourself back into that pose, it takes your body a while to kind of get used to it again. But you just get so elsewhere in your head and in those on those occasions I have thought about mortality really and death mm. <laughs> which sounds really dark but it's not at all it's more it's more been a really strong sense of although I'm sitting here and time is passing and ultimately I'm not actually doing that much I'm actually sat in the same position it makes me so aware of time passing, I guess. Yeah, just the shortness of time that we're about as well, that we're here. And I've thought about my parents as well in that sort of context, which is can be quite an upsetting thing to think about as well. Um, and I've had to come to peace with that, that, you know, life, nothing stays the same and life does end. And at some point, We're all not going to be here anymore but that's also the really amazing thing about being on the planet in the first place because it's just this opportunity that we have it makes things matter yeah exactly one other surprising thing was modeling in glasgow because i never thought i would model in glasgow where i'm now based just because of a lot of the reasons i left glasgow was to completely just dissociate from the city and uh, be elsewhere for lots of different reasons so I never, it never felt like a place I would be have the strength to come back to and model <laughs> but I did and then it was fine and it was great so how wonderful that, that was great yeah. so you could take this occupation of yours now as regaining a space basically exactly that sounds super nice <laughs> Donna like all the time talking with you was so much fun and so much joy <laughs> I hope we do it soon again and thank you so much for your time and all the insights from your perspective as an art model. Thank you so much. It has been a great pleasure. I feel like there are an endless number of other things that we could discuss. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Wonderful. Then have a nice Sunday afternoon and uh, I hope we see each other soon again. Thank you, lovely humans, for listening to this episode of my podcast, Sex and Art. If you want to support this podcast, please don't forget to like and subscribe. And I hope we hear each other soon in the next episode. Have a lovely day.